Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Ilona with Palate Exposure. I'm here with Tom Leonardini, the storied winery, Waiko Lane. He's a second-generation vintner. His dad bought the property in 1993. Good morning, Alana. Thank you for having me. So your dad was in a different business, of course, before the property was purchased. So I want to just talk about that for a bit. Yeah. So um, my dad uh, is native San Franciscan, uh, born in 1941. Hmm. Um, met my mom. She was born in 43, I think, and also a native San Franciscan. We go way back in the city. Um, my dad learned the car rental and leasing business from, uh, his Irish uncle, Ed Barrett, who started national car rental. Oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, they helped build the Golden Gate Bridge. They helped build Union Square. That's our Irish side. And then our, we have our whole Italian side, which has better food than the Irish side. Union Square. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Way back. So, uh. Yeah, we're native San Franciscans. Um, so my dad learned the car rental and leasing business. Uh, my dad is type A, Irish-Italian, uh, hardcore guy, which I mean in a positive way. I view my dad as um, Steve McQueen, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne character. Uh, my, cool. my dad has extreme charisma. He's really smart. He's like a number savant, which I don't have. Okay. And um, he's, he's a really good athlete. Uh, could have played professional baseball. Um, my dad's an avid golfer. He's in his late seventies, got a new hip. Uh, he's super fit, sharp, and, um, does a great job. And I have to do my job or he'll get on me right away. It sounds like growing up with him must have been an interesting experience because he holds everybody to a high standard, doesn't he? He does. And I didn't know this my whole life. I wish I'd learned earlier. So if my dad wants me to do something, even now I'm 53, I say, okay, dad, Tell me what you want me to do, how you want me to do it, and I'll do it now. <laughs> so then everything's fine. But he, uh, he learned the car rental and leasing business at a young age, and in 1969 started his car rental company. And then my dad grew with California, <coughs> so ended up with thousands of cars, hundreds of employees, um, real estate all over California, and that he bought at a fraction of what that stuff's worth now. Um, but he had the foresight and the money and the uh, courage to do it, built his company up, and then sold it when he was in his early 40s. So you just describe an American dream in a nutshell, in every yes. aspect. Yes, my dad's funny too. Um, so sold his business, got tired of playing golf every day, and wanted a real estate-based investment. He started a wine store called the Napa Valley Winery Exchange. It's uh, started in 1989. It's at 415 Taylor in California, which is a parking garage that my dad bought in the 70s. I shopped at that store, I had no idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, it was before the internet and before all the information online. So it was a really uh, smart idea to focus on uh, Napa Valley wines and then grow through all the California wines, but to focus on high-level customer service, small production, mm -hmm. hard-to-get wines, and then access to all the hotel rooms in downtown San Francisco. Way ahead of his time. Yeah. And marketing-wise. 
Yeah, and then uh, funny stuff too. One of my dad's idea was um, he is a wine collector. He was in the Wine Spectator for his wine collection in the 80s. He went to a wine store in Burlingame that's still in existence. I won't mention the name. And he'd say, okay, I want this wine and this wine. And they'd say, well, to get this wine and this wine, you have to buy this wine and this wine. And my dad doesn't play that game. So he opened his own wine store and was able to buy whatever he wanted. And a lot of the iconic wines that he bought back then um, are still some of the top collectible ones. So he had an incredible wine personal collection. And then the wine store has done really well since 89. I can totally validate that. I think I know which story you're talking about. We won't reveal it, of course, but I shopped there too. And that's the story I got. It's so funny because it's no longer really relevant. So I don't talk about things like that. Right. Because the world has changed. Exactly. The world has changed. The cult world has changed. But at the time, that was ubiquitous. All the stores that got the allocations right. made you buy other stuff. Right. So he actually addressed the problem. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I have a retail storefront um, and I want all this wine. And uh, my sister, Kristen, who's a year older than me, she's worked there since the beginning. And so it, uh, one of my favorite words, multifactorial, all this stuff kind of came together into the store. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, so that was the intro to wine. <coughs> and then he was looking at wineries during uh, 92, 93. Uh, one of the first wineries that he considered purchasing was um, Charles Shaw Winery. <laughs> about that yeah and it was lucy shaw trying to sell it great lady and um it was funny i was uh newly married and lucy was trying to encourage my wife and i how great wine country was and that we wanted to live in wine country but we lived in san francisco where we met and basically it's like i don't want to leave the city the city was awesome for us back then mm -hmm. and move to wine country so that wasn't the reason my dad said no. He had to meet with the bankers and try to buy that winery out of a tough position for the Shaws. He passed on um, on that winery. In retrospect, I'm really glad. Um, he found this winery, Whitehall Lane, on a Monday in March of 93 and bought it on the following Friday. And my dad had the capital to do it and the negotiating skills. And it's fun for him. So he's like, I bought a winery. And I was on a ski trip and it's like, Hey dad, how was your week? He's like, I bought a winery. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, pretty exciting. Yes. So what was the background of this property? Just give us an overview. So it's been around, you know, since obviously a long time, but it was a vineyard in the fifties and sixties. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true, but the original owners of William Selium, the great Pinot producer in, um, Sonoma, I guess one of them owned this. And then an uh, awesome family that's still in existence in Napa, the Finkelsteins. Yes, of course, the Diamond Creek. Um, uh, Judd's Hill. Judd's Hill, that's right. Yeah, that was Diamond, that's the uh, Bronsteins. Bronsteins. Another great family. Yes, no, but it's just brain parts. Yeah, that's okay. So Art and Bunny Finkelstein and Art's brother was involved. Uh, Finkelsteins are awesome people. Rest in peace. Uh, Judd, who's a good friend, has Judd's Hill Winery now. So it goes back. They did a great job with it. Uh, they sold to a Japanese corporation mm -hmm. in the late 80s, and then my dad bought it from the Japanese corporation in, in 93 of Mar March. Yes. Yeah, wow. so pretty good uh, 
pretty good history here. Um, there were, my numbers aren't exact here, but when we got the winery in 93, I think there were about 150 wineries in Napa. And this is one of the early bonded wineries too. I forget the exact number, but um, there weren't as many wineries. So when my parents bought this place, uh, a lot of the existing wineries thought it was strange because it's right on the highway as opposed to being nestled up on the hills and being more secluded and private. But ultimately back to my dad's foresight is uh, he bought the winery to be a business that we could create a family legacy and make really good wine over time. So it wasn't a hobby, a social tool. Um, and we've had the winery over a quarter of a century, which is short by European terms, but by Napa terms, it's pretty old. It is, and I just really want to highlight how important it is that it was purchased as a business and run as a business. Right. Not to make um, a value judgment on those that buy it for other reasons. Sure. But there's a huge difference in terms of, you know, everything that permeates it, the mindset, the ensuing product. I teach your wines for the first time probably 20 years ago. And even back then, you know, by the standards of the Napa Valley becoming that world-class everybody's aware of it all of a sudden destination right you were creme de la creme i appreciate that early on so but obviously what happened since um, like you said building the family legacy but behind it there's a solid business structure which i think makes so much difference there are wineries here with absentee owners or owners that use it you know more for social purposes and it does make a difference in the end uh agreed agreed and that um you know, we make about 50,000 cases of wine. Uh, we sell a lot out of our tasting room and through our wine club, which is really important. Uh, and then we have a really healthy, strong distribution network mm -hmm. uh, domestically and internationally. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of different channels of uh, income for the winery, which is more important uh, now than ever. It is, and it also, I feel like, elevates the brand of the region. Yeah. The wineries like yours make Stella wine across the portfolio at a good price point, and you cover a lot of the um, audiences. Uh, we do, Alana. I appreciate that. And we work hard at it. And it's um, I work with my sister, Katie. She's here all the time, does operation stuff. She's really good at it. She lives in St. Helena. And then uh, I manage our outside sales. Mm -hmm. So I've traveled a ton. United Airlines loves me. And um, it's fun... Uh, Pros and cons with traveling, um, try to focus on the positive stuff, which there is a lot of positive. Uh, I have friends that I've met through business mm -hmm. um, all over North America. I bet. So everywhere I go, I have friends and they sell our wine or introduce me to people that buy and sell wine. Um, so it's a pretty good network that I have nurtured and fostered that uh, I had a really good friend named Tom Shelton, uh, rest in peace. Uh. And he ran Phelps Winery. Yes. And uh, he helped me a tremendous amount when I was a kid starting my job. And then the other guy that helped me a lot was uh, Todd Williams, Robin Williams' brother. Oh. And he had a winery called Toad Hollow in Sonoma. And yeah. Todd worked at Whitehall Lane and Schaefer. I didn't know that. So those guys, those two guys didn't have to help me with my stupid questions, but they really did. And I try to reciprocate by helping younger people that I meet now. 
but those guys really, really helped me a lot and gave me confidence and courage and knowledge when they didn't have to do it at all. That kind of a mentorship mentality really runs in the fabric of a lot of things that are great about Napa Valley. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So going back to the very beginning for a moment, your dad says, I bought a winery. And there you are going, oh, I guess I'm in the wine business now? Or how does dad develop? So I worked for... Um, I went to Santa Clara University where I was an English major and then um, took a year off and skied in Tahoe, which was awesome. And then uh, I have my master's in business from the University of San Francisco. So I was finishing up my master's with uh, emphasis in marketing when my dad bought the winery. And so I missed the first year and then uh, he offered me a job to work here and uh, I kind of wanted to say no. Because I was a kid, yeah. and just the fact of saying no, which is silly in retrospect, and I'm glad I didn't, but I have a good friend named Mark who lives up in Reno, who I've known forever, and uh, I met him when I was like five, and we've been friends ever since and kept our friendship together, mm-hmm. even when we were young, which is kind of cool, and he goes, you probably shouldn't say no because this might be your window that might not open again. Because hmm. someone might take the job. So jumped in, took the job, and... Um, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. So you said you have two sisters. Uh, there are actually are three of us. And there's three. I got okay. three sisters and a brother. Three sisters and a brother. Yeah. Okay. Are they all involved in the family business? Um, we all own part of it. Okay. And um, only two of us work here. So oh. my sister Kate and I. Got it. So. So in the 90s, let's look at the California scene. Uh, 97 is the vintage of the century at the time, right? So you joined the business when everything was really coming out very strongly. Yeah. Um, And you had, it's pretty competitive when Mm -hmm. you're with the peers that are, you know, making this wine that are earning all these high scores. Yeah. And you didn't know much about wine at the time. Is that a correct assumption? That's very correct. Good. So how did you actually navigate your way in that world? Um, So I worked for a big wine company called Hubline. I sold Almaden, uh, Inglenook, Blossom Hill, Smirnoff Vodka. Okay. So that was kind of my intro to um, the wine business. I had my MBA, which is a great um, educational tool. The theory, right? Yeah, yeah. but um, I sold cars from a young age. Ah, okay. And um, I, was, I was lucky. So my dad, who was in the car business, he had lots of fancy cars, performance cars. I learned my aggressive fast driving from my dad too um, that I passed on to my kids. Um, <laughs> so I would help my dad buy and sell cars, mm-hmm. whether it was like 50 cars at once or like an exotic car. And then I have the gift, as you've probably noticed, Alana, uh, <coughs> I, can, I can talk all day long mm-hmm. to anyone. So uh, <coughs> yeah, just jumped in selling wine at a higher level. And, uh, you know, I had my piece of paper here, are my distributors around the country and, uh, <coughs> you know, back to no email, get on the phone, get on an airplane, meet everybody, uh, sort out existing problems with those distributors. If we couldn't <coughs> sort those out, get new ones, create new relationships. Um, and just figured it all out at that point. Um, I was lucky that I didn't realize at the time. Sorry about that. You okay? I'm good. Um, 
I didn't realize at the time how bad my distribution network was. I had old inventory. <coughs> uh, they were bad relationships. I'm lucky I didn't know all that. And that goes back to Tom Shelton and Todd Williams. They're yeah. like, hey, never portray to know more about wine than you do and you'll never get in trouble, which was great. And so if someone asked me a technical question, I'd say, you know, I don't have the answer to that. Because people try to grill you when you're young and your family owns a winery and I barely passed high school chemistry. So I'd say, hey, I don't have an answer to that question, but let me find out. And then I'd talk to our winemaker and get the answer and, and follow up. But just hard work and finding people that you can work with. And then I have to throw this into as I elevate my uh, self-worth through that answer is there were fewer wineries in Napa. There were fewer wineries in California. And just fewer wineries going through the distribution network. Uh. So, and we had top 10 wine spectator reviews. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, easier to sell wine back then. And um, through those really good wines and connections, I was able to build the foundation for our distribution network right now. So you learned everything you know on the job, really, and through mentors and yeah. asking a lot of questions, which I think yeah. is very encouraging because yeah. um, I'm sure there's quite a bit of pressure from what you described with your dad. There's expectation that you'll perform at a high level. Yep. So we have our family stuff, which is great. And then we have our meetings. And uh, I'm not going to say they're corporate, but everyone in the meeting has to be responsible for their own channel or yeah. uh, role at the winery. So, and then my dad's great too. Um, he can be the hammer if I need him. And then he can charm people too. He can toggle back and forth, which is a skill that not everybody has. And it's a generational thing too. So if I have a problem, customer, <coughs> I still will use my dad. I'm like, hey, can you call this guy? Here's the situation. And he picks up the phone and gets it done. He's great at it. The fascinating part of your personal history is that you were able to take on a pretty significant role that really, at the end of the day, people think about romance, but there's a hard practicality to paying the bills and creating jobs and yep. really a survival thing because, again, this is very competitive. It is. Um, so you must have picked up the skill set both from your father and there's something inherently within you that allowed for that to blossom. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I. Um I always laugh when I say this. I really like people. Hmm. And I get to know people everywhere I go, whether it's waiting in line, at a restaurant, at a store. My kids think I'm funny because I talk to everybody. I find it entertaining. <laughs> and uh, they have that gift now too. But we do sell a luxury product. And it goes with great food and uh, good times and camaraderie and... Yeah, I'm lucky. That's a great aspect of my job. I've seen really nice stuff, um, know lots of people, eating great food, great wine, um, seen America. Yeah. And uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. You also said you dabble in production a bit. There's something about you driving a forklift and overseeing some of the vineyard work. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're fortunate. We live in one of our vineyards. Uh, we have six vineyards in Napa and um, two in Sonoma. Oh. So no Napa-Sonoma rivalry at Whitehall Lane. Um, I don't get that whole rivalry thing either. But uh, yeah, I'm lucky I can do lots of different stuff. So um, if I had to 
sit in the cubicle all day, uh, couldn't do it. Um, I'm lucky I don't have to sit in traffic and commute. Yeah. Uh, God love those people that, that do it every day as our Bay Area has grown and traffic times have been escalating nonstop. But I get to do lots of different stuff. So I do some vineyard work. Um, I work with our winemaker. I'm not near an expert in either field. Mm. Um, but it's fun to be able to do that stuff. I'm really interested in the vineyards at this point. Living in one, you can see all the different stages they go through. It's beautiful. And all the wildlife that's incorporated in it. Um, I like working the pumps and the hoses and the forklifts and moving the wine around. I like doing that stuff, filling the barrels. Um, so I'm lucky I get to do wear many different hats. That's pretty awesome. So you moved from an urban environment, as you described, I did. into the wine country after all. I did. Resisted at first, but then now, how do you feel about it? Um, so, one of I love outdoor sports. Ah. So surfing, skiing, mountain biking, hunting, fishing. I do all that stuff. So at the earlier stages in my life, uh, surfing was my thing. So mm. we live right near the beach in San Francisco, Ocean Beach. And it was great living in the city selling wine back then because it was wave one of the internet, mm -hmm. which, was, which was really fun. So did a lot of that. And as my wife was pregnant with our third child, Sophia, who's now uh, 18, we figured it was a good time to get out of the city before we were entrenched with school. So we moved up to St. Helena. Hmm. So it was a really, um, it was a tough change. Uh, I laugh because my wife, um, we were in separate cars. We were driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. She looked great when she was pregnant too. So she's got a big stomach, which I mean in a respectful way, of course. And she's driving over the Golden Gate Bridge crying. So it was kind of like a movie thing. It's Aww. like, we're leaving the city. Um, we moved up to St. Helena. Um, we found an old house that was beat. Uh, my wife does interior design. Uh, I looked at the house and I, I couldn't handle it, basically. It's like it smelled, they had animals. I couldn't get past all that stuff. And she's like, okay, this is the one. I'm like, okay, honey, will you be happy here? Yes. So bought that house, fixed it up, made it look great. But the move was, was tough. Uh, the climate, and we have our crazy unique weather system here that less oh, yeah. than 2% of the wor world has, our Mediterranean climate. So we live in the city in the fog out near the beach. So it's 55 degrees most of the year, fog, wind. Then we moved to St. Helena, which the weather's spectacular. And we lived at the bottom of Spring Mountain. So we live in this really hot pocket. Oh, jeez. So I remember my son, who was uh, really young at the time, I'm all, do you like living here? He goes, it's really hot. And the crickets are so loud, I can't sleep. Oh, wow. And we was used to hearing like, Muni, the buses and all that <laughs> stuff. So it was a good move for our family. And it also coincided with uh, September 11th. Oh, so God. we moved on September 9th up here. Oh. So that was, uh, that was a crazy time for us personally and our entire nation. But uh, that was kind of a time marker. Yes, of course. So yeah, it was a nice move and met lots of nice people. Back to the camaraderie in the wine business. Mm -hmm. Living in St. Helena was great. Uh, no parking problem. The schools were great. It's beautiful. We ride our bikes everywhere, swim a lot. So we lived this really nice, great life. And it was easy for me because I traveled a lot then too. And then my wife didn't have, uh, her name's Jackie, didn't have all the 
the tough everyday stuff of the city. Mm -hmm. And then we had family support, friend support. So kind of resisted that move, but it turned out to be a really good one. Yeah, no, it sounds like you assimilated well in the yeah. country lifestyle. I think a lot of people envy, and that's kind of what you described. It was nice. It's yeah, we had a great, a we had a great time. Life. And then the small town, um, you know, having three kids, you get to know everybody. I bet. Everybody, which is good and bad. Yes. And so mostly good. And we had some really, really fun times. So that era in all of our lives uh, was, was a really great one. Yes. So... I kind of view the 90s as the era of recognition, again, that awareness worldwide, raising the critics, really rewarding California wine, and justly so. It was great. What it was. <laughs> it was great. So it's, it's a high, let's call it that. It was. It was for me, personally and professionally, it was great. Yeah. It was great. Um, who was your winemaker at the time? Was it Gary? Yeah, it was Gary Galleron. Gary Galleron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then my dad... Um, he worked with uh, this guy, Dick Grace, uh, who owns Grace Family Vineyards. He's a great guy yeah. uh, in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, Gary was our winemaker for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he's a really nice man. His family is from Napa, mm -hmm. Galleron Lane right down here. Yeah. Uh, learned a lot from Gary. He's an artist and uh, really, once again, really good guy. So we had some good times. Um, as we grew mm -hmm. in production levels, um, Gary's more of an artisan, small mm -hmm. winery guy. And as we grew, um, it became all positive, uh, pretty evident that it wasn't the type of winery that he wanted to work for anymore. Mm -hmm. So everyone parted ways uh, peacefully and without any animosity. And then we got another winemaker who we had for a long time. His name is Dean Sylvester. Mm -hmm. And he did a really nice job for us too. Yeah. So when you were deciding First of all, how many vineyards were in as part of the purchase? Um, the existing vineyard at the winery. Mm -hmm. And then um, we have a really good vineyard that we named our Leonardini Vineyard uh, that is behind the Harvest Inn Hotel. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese company that owned the winery also owned the Harvest Inn Hotel and okay. the winery behind it. So my dad had the opportunity to buy the hotel and passed on that but ended up buying um, the vineyard behind it. And kind of funny story with the vineyard behind it, it's one of our best vineyards, is my dad, I can't tell you who it is, of course, Alana, but my dad met another winery guy who said that, that vineyard wasn't a good one because mm. of the soil, and then tried to backdoor purchase it before my dad could. Huh. So that was not that my dad needed that lesson because of the car business is can be rough but it was kind of an example of there is a camaraderie here and it's very competitive so and then people that fill napa are a lot of people that are very successful from other industries that are very sharp with their business acumen so back to your point it's a it's extremely competitive your dad has some sort of Near clairvoyant ability to make the right decisions. He does. He's done it so many times, over and over again. It's uh, almost comical. My mind's blown. I mean, Harvest Inn. He doesn't own that. He had the opportunity to buy it, but I decided wish not. He to. did because I think it would have been such a different place. Uh, had he have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm wishing because I think he would have improved lots of things. 
Yeah, and I think as my dad gets older, and once again, my dad is really sharp. Is um, he alluded to my son the other day that uh, he wishes he'll live like a hundred years more because he kind of has it all figured out and has the capital to do what he wants, and he has multiple business ventures that thrive. I'm sure. So what a phenomenal mentor! Not easy. No, that's great. He's funny. But it's extraordinary to have the man by your side with the vision that he's literally batting a thousand from everything you're describing so far. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm but my dad has integrity. Yeah. And works really hard. He works all the time now. So it, it, he doesn't really, and this is a great thing, he doesn't really care what day of the week it is or mm. what time it is. Mm. He does his work. And then he schedules out everything that he's going to do. And... Um, yeah, my dad's, my dad's great. So he, uh, I got this from him, I'm sure, and my mom, but my dad can deal with billionaires or the guy that's helping him at the golf course or the person pouring water at the restaurant. He can bounce around from group to group. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. You know, it strikes me that in terms of American success story, mm -hmm. the values really stayed the same. Yep. It, it is that hard work. I know it's cliche-ish and true. such, but that's what it takes. You describe being such staunch work ethic. He outworked other people, right? Oh, yeah. And still does. He does, by far. And then the other, I have lots of really proud moments with my dad. Um, he included me in a lot of stuff when I was young. Hmm. So when he was looking at buying Charles Shaw Winery, mm -hmm. um, my dad's an entrepreneur and always owned his own businesses. And I think that's the strength of the American economy, mm -hmm. especially in California too. And this is pre all the tech stuff. But I remember sitting at um, a table with a bunch of bankers. I think they were B of A guys. And they tried to like belittle my dad because he didn't have some big corporate title. Yeah. And and he does, my dad doesn't care what other people think in that type of environment. And uh, he, back to being a number savant, he could tear up the numbers better than them. And basically, what they wanted for the winery, their uh, number overvalued mm -hmm. the business. And so he goes, I don't want it. I don't want it at that price. It's worth like half. Yeah. So they couldn't strike a deal. And then he bought Whitehall Lane, where we are right now, um, got a great price for it. Yeah. Which is less than what people pay for homes in Napa right now. Amazing. Yeah, so that gave us a really good foundation. So You almost wish that people like your dad around the country because the leadership qualities, the vivid example of what it's like to create value, first and foremost for people, by being who you are and by being able to digest the information and be able to see into the future. Those are extraordinary qualities. It is. And then I also really admire this about my mom and dad, and they're a really good team, um, is my dad's very philanthropic, mm. and he does it all silently. So oh, he doesn't want big plaques. He doesn't want to be in the paper. Uh, he's done it forever. Um, and then uh, my dad went to Jesuit schools. He went to St. Ignatius in San Francisco with his brothers. Uh, and then a lot of our family members, me included, have gone through uh, Jesuit high schools and universities. 
And so he has good connections with them and they're a good conduit channel to helping others through that uh, non-recognition channel. So. What an extraordinary person. Yeah. Is he your greatest mentor? Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I laugh too because my dad's funny. And back to like the Steve McQueen stuff is, yeah. um, I remember my dad when I was young, uh, you know, drive with a cocktail and a cigarette. And my dad drove really fast cars, still does. He doesn't drive with a cigarette or open container, hasn't done that for decades. But uh, it's kind of funny stuff. So my dad, I view as a fun person. Yeah. And we've done lots of fun stuff and we continue to do it now and then incorporating uh, the next generation of our family. We recently went on a trip with, um, just it was a family hunting trip mm-hmm. and went with uh, my sister Kim and my sisters Kate sons who are like 14 and 15 mm-hmm. and then my son's 23 mm-hmm. went and they're uh, a whole group of us and my brother and some older uh, nephews and we had a great trip and it's fun because my dad's out there doing his thing in his late 70s with 14 year old grandson and not a lot of families can do that no i almost wish that there was some way to record your dad promised whether through a book form that records his wisdoms or some kind of chronicling of who he is he would do this alana Cool. Yeah, he would do it. That's done. So cool. Yeah, he'd like it. (laughs) You just have to. You just have to pin him down. Yes. I'll make the connection. That's up to you too. Thank you. Um, No, I I absolutely love it. Um, Your mom, behind every extraordinary man, there is an extraordinary woman. So that theory must hold true in your family. Uh, Yeah. So. um, Yeah, my mom's great. Her name's Karen. Uh, She was a nurse. RN did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a hospice nurse. Wow, that's really heavy. For decades. That's amazing. Um, assisting dying people, which is, uh, I don't know how she did it to be honest, but she's kind, she's compassionate, she has her medical background. Um, my mom's really sharp. Uh, yeah, she's great. Empathy. Yeah, and uh, the word empathy, I think is a great one. I even laugh at educated people that don't even know what the word means, yeah. let alone display it. Yeah. So my mom has that. And then uh, through my dad's hard work and perseverance and luck and all these factors, um, my mom didn't have to work at all. Mm-hmm. And she did hospice forever and ever and uh, got national recognition for it, uh, obviously helped lots of people, and she's a kind person. So, yeah, and then together, um, they make a pretty good team. It's a yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. Really, it says it all. And then my dad acts all tough, but my mom's the boss. I love it. What a, what a phenomenal example to watch growing up. Someone that, you know, had a lot of choices. She could have been stay-at-home mom, which is fantastic. She could have, yeah. you know, done charity work, which I'm sure she does anyway. But the fact that she chose to deal with it, toughest point of people's lives that for most of us is almost incomprehensible i mean we could talk about it but actually seeing it live that's a very different it is proposition and the fact that she chose to do that yeah volumes yeah it's amazing so she helped a lot of people and then my mom's parents were great and my mom's dad um was born in butte montana Mm -hmm. uh, 100 percent irish just a flood of Irish people back then. 
in Montana. They were miners, uh, and their lives weren't very bright. A mm. uh, mile down in the mines, uh, people killed, injured. I went there in June. Um, it's got a really long history with a lot mm. of sadness in it. So he was orphaned as a kid and then grew up in an orphanage um, in Montana. Not It wasn't in Butte. It's somewhere outside of there. I forget the name right now. And then um, moved to San Francisco, um, became a butcher, built his own big business, did really well, and he always smiled and was always happy. And then learning more about his upbringing is really sad. And so I think that optimism that he always had, uh, you know, continued on through my mom and us. So it was pretty cool. So that's the origin, really. Yeah. And then we have our whole Italian side too, which is, uh, has better food. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're, so we're immigrants, basically. We're Irish, Italian immigrants. Backbone of this country. Yeah. But everything you say to me spells intent. There's a, so much intentionality. You yeah. Know, you didn't just fall back on, hey, you know, here we are, hey, what was me? It's like, let's push it forward, let's move forward. Yeah. Um, and that spirit is what built this country. Agreed. And we're extreme patriots. Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, it's been, uh, once again, uh, I've been fortunate to have, uh, you know, my strong family background with my mom and dad, my siblings, and um, this business opportunity. Yeah, so not that it's all about me, but I've had a really good time. I think I've added a lot here and have a lot more to add. And um, we have a whole another generation behind uh, behind us, which Absolutely. is just kind of neat. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson. <laughs>